You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode 221 of You Don't Know Flack. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will be talking about hospitals. Now, unfortunately, I have spent some time in a hospital over the past few weeks, and I wrote the notes to this week's show on a piece of paper that I left at the hospital. So while I search my pant pockets for that piece of paper, we'll have a little bit of time to talk on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Uh, I have launched my own Discord server. I mean, not my own Discord server, but my own, I don't know what you call it. I guess it's a virtual Discord server on their Discord server. <laughs> uh, if you're a fan of Discord, if you are a Discord user and you want to come hang out and see what's going on, uh, I have a non-expiring invite, and there's a uh, I set up a URL forwarder at robohara.com forward slash Discord. That's Discord all lowercase. So if you want to come check out Discord and uh, dip your toe into that water and see what's going on, that's a good way to do it. Of course, um, all my Patreon supporters get access to the real Discord, which is the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, which has a large community and a lot more uh, things going on a lot more action than my discord, which is actually pretty small and, um, not, uh, very active at the moment. So if you want to get in on the ground level, uh, come hang out, come see what's going on. You can go do that. Uh, as I mentioned, my dad has, uh, well, I didn't mention it was my dad, but, uh, if you are one of my Patreon followers, you may have already, uh, read that my dad has been in the hospital recently. Um, he's a pretty private guy. I'm sure he wouldn't like me mentioning that on a podcast that he's in the hospital, but, uh, that has, uh, that's where he has been for the past two weeks now, a little over two weeks. And, um, uh, I have been thinking, you know, of course, and you don't know flack. I always talk about technology and, um, uh, you know, my dad is in his mid seventies, but, uh, he knows how to use a cell phone. He has his iPhone there. And of course with the iPhone, uh, right off the bat, he's been in the ICU. So they take everything off you. They take, uh, any jewelry, but they also take your watch. My dad is a, uh, avid, uh, not avid. I don't know what the right word is. Like he's addicted to knowing exactly what time it is. And the way that the rooms are set up, there is a clock built into the wall that is behind him. He can't see it uh, from his hospital bed. And so, um, with his iPhone, he is able to look and see what time it is. He's able to check his email. He's able to text us and to call us. Um, and I've just been thinking about this week, like how great that technology is, 
um, that beforehand, you know, you were kind of cut off from people. I think, you know, a lot of uh, old hospital rooms had a phone <laughs> that sat there on the bed or on that little table that rolls around, but uh, it didn't have your phone with all your phone numbers and, again, the ability to text. Um, I took a tablet up for my dad to borrow, and it has Netflix installed, and uh, he can get on the hospital Wi-Fi, so he's able to watch movies. I put a bunch of ebooks on the tablet, so he's got all the entertainment, uh, you know, everything right there at his, uh, right there at his fingertips. So I, I don't know. I just was really thinking about how technology has made staying in the hospital uh, a little more bearable. It's still a pretty miserable experience, but. Uh, you know, having that stuff there makes the time go by a little bit faster. I did have one other technology related story I wanted to share with everyone. And this involves a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine from elementary school, whose name is Carla. Now, Carla was a year older than I was, and she and I met in elementary school. Uh, they they did not have they they gave me the tests <laughs> um to put me in gifted but they did not have gifted for second graders so they ended up putting me in a gifted class with uh third and fourth graders and Carla was in there so that's how we met my mom was always a homeroom mom and so was Carla's mom her name was Sandra and so our our moms met and they became friends and uh we they kind of struck up this uh this friendship. And so there was a, a day where uh, Carla's mom and Carla and Carla's brother, Bill, came over to our house. This would have been probably 1982, probably second grade for me. Um, maybe, yeah, 81, 82, somewhere in there. And as the story goes, that was when Carla's brother, Bill, first saw a home computer. He saw my dad's TRS-80 Model 3. I think my dad must have been home, showed him a little bit about the computer. Um, Bill was, he would have been four years older than me, three years older than Carla, but he, that was the first time he saw a home computer and he got the bug. Uh, he immediately got a um, TRS-80, well, not immediately, but uh, within a year or two, he got a TRS-80 uh, Coco computer, Model 1 which would have been uh, after, you know, a, a newer model than what we had, the Model 3. And uh, that was the computer that got him hooked on computers. He became a, a fan of computers. He ended up going into the Navy. He did uh, computer programming. He, he got a degree in computer science. And he really um, credits coming over to our house and seeing our TRS-80 as uh, the spark that got him interested in computers. And so uh, anyway, I do want to tell uh, one other story before I, I come. I'm going to come back to that story. Uh, my buddy, Rob Sherwin, who lives in Colorado, has been collecting vintage consoles and vintage computers. He, he's been collecting stuff like that for as long as I've known him for, for decades. But um, he, there's some holes in his collection. And one of the things he said he did not own was an Atari 2600. Uh, I told him I have at least four Atari 2600s. And if he would like an Atari 2600, just to let me know. And so we were going to 
discuss price and, and, you know, things. And it kind of, uh, fell on the back burner, but I knew his birthday was coming up. So since I have four Atari 2600s, I thought I'm going to get one of them, make sure it's working, test it out and box it up and, and send it to him for his birthday. So I went out to my workshop and I had a couple boxes that were labeled Atari 2600. I pulled the first one out and I didn't realize this, but the entire side of the case was missing and it has been cracked and broken off. Like I could see inside the Atari, I could see the motherboard. I mean, it was just hollow, you know, I thought, well, I'm not going to give a guy that for his birthday. So I set that one aside and then I found a second one and I pulled it out and cleaned it up and hooked it up and it did not work. So all of a sudden, like, I I feel like he's going to think I'm lying because I just told him I had four and now I'm down to two. And one of them is one that I got at a garage sale that's still in the box. Uh, and that one is in storage. So now I'm down to one and it was a Vader. I didn't really want to send, uh, him my Vader, not because I didn't want to part with it, but because I thought it's not really the iconic Atari. Like if you're only going to have one Atari 2600, you probably want a six switch, uh, Woody, not necessarily a heavy sixer, but you know, um, a traditional Atari 2600. And so that was all I had left. So I pulled out the Vader. I tested it. It worked. And I cleaned it up and I sent it to him, but I was, I didn't want to tell him this. He may listen to this episode and, and I, we've talked about it since then, but uh, I didn't want to say anything to him, but I was kind of bummed because literally I went into this, uh, in good faith, but also thinking that I had four Atari 2600. So when you have four, um, that's three spares, <laughs> I don't mind giving one away. Uh, but now all of a sudden I have one that may or may not work. I haven't tested it and two that are broke. And then I'm giving away the only one that I know for a fact works. So I was a little bummed out about it, but here's the reality, uh, to my left, immediately to my left is my mister, which has every Atari game on it. There's right next to the mister is a raspberry Pi. Um, I have a million ways to play Atari games and I very rarely play Atari 2600 games to be honest. So, um, so I wasn't that put out over the deal. Plus, I mean, I'm literally going out to my workshop and digging through boxes to find Atari. So it's not like I was pulling one, you know, off of my entertainment center. So, uh, I mailed the 2600 to him and that's kind of the end of that story. So let's go back to my friend, Carla. Uh, my friend Carla contacted me and, uh, I had read on Facebook that her mom had passed away last year. And her brother, Bill, lives out of town, so it has now become Carla's responsibility to clean out the house. And so while she was over there cleaning out the house, she ran across two things that she thought I might want. The first was her brother, Bill's original TRS-80 color computer, Model 1. <laughs> uh, Bill didn't want it, and uh, you know he's out of state, and uh, he said he'd, he'd be more than happy for me to have it. And the other thing was, she said, also, I found our old Atari 2600. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the reason that makes me laugh, the reason that's funny is because that is the story of my life. The story of my life is things find their way to me. And 
it doesn't mean that I am destined to always own those things. Sometimes I am just um, the intermediate person. (laughs) I receive items and I find where they're supposed to go and I give them away or, you know, uh, I, I give them, it's not, it's not giving them away. It's giving them to the right person, you know, the right person at that time last month to get an Atari two was Rob Sherwin. Um, and it's funny that I guess maybe that's just, I know that's, uh, kind of the definition of kismet, but that's kind of just how the universe has always worked for me is I give away the Atari. And then a month later, a friend of mine that, uh, you know, we were friends in second and third grade contacts me out of the blue and says, would you like an Atari? Of course the answer is yes. (laughs) So I am now the owner of a new, uh, new to me, TRS-80 uh, color computer, Model 1. I don't have any experience with those computers. Um, a friend of mine on Discord uh, and a, a member, a high-standing member of the uh, Coco community, L. Curtis Boyle, uh, I reached out to him. He kind of told me what I have, what kind of upgrades I would need. Um, it doesn't seem like this is a particularly very powerful Coco, uh, that it would might need some memory upgrades. I did not get, and I got some cassettes, but I didn't get a cassette player, uh, but I did get the cords needed. I got a video cord and actually I did get it hooked up to a monitor and it turns on uh, the keys. I'm assuming based on the way it feels that there's a membrane in there that probably needs cleaning. Um, so it's not perfect, but it does work. And, uh, I hooked up the Atari 2600 today and it fired right up. So I'm, I'm back in the Atari business and, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of a fun story. Like I, I feel like a lot of these things, um, find their way to me and sometimes they're, uh, for me to own and sometimes they're for me to play with. And sometimes they are for me to pass on to someone else, uh, that's looking for those items. But, uh, if, if that's, if that's my lot in life, then I, I'm okay with that. If you have feedback about this episode of the show, you can have feedback about that story. It probably won't be great. <laughs> but if you do have feedback, uh, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or on my new Discord, which is at robohare.com forward slash Discord. Or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash robohare. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. While I was talking, I found the piece of paper with all my notes that I wrote about the hospital while I was at the hospital. So uh, let's get started talking about this episode's topic, hospital visits. My earliest memory of going to a hospital was not as a visitor, but as a patient. 
when I was in third grade, I developed a sore throat. I had had multiple sore throats. My parents took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. No, he didn't say that. The doctor said, those tonsils got to come out. So, um, that was my first experience with going to a hospital. I remember going, uh, going to check in. I remember the doctor telling me uh, that I could have all the ice cream I could eat. That's the lie <laughs> that they tell kids when they're about to have their tonsils taken out. Uh, in 1983, this was the summer of, or the spring of 1983, so I was nine years old. I got moved into a room uh, with another kid. Uh, so it was, uh, I had a bed, and he had a bed, and his mom was there, my mom was there. And I can tell you very specifically that the date was May 24th. Now, why can I tell you that? Because May 25th was the day that Return of the Jedi came out. <laughs> and I was heartbroken. Now, I did not see Star Wars on opening weekend only because Star Wars did not play in most states opening weekend. It had a limited uh, release in the beginning, and then it um, spread out, and they added more and more dates. And then the first weekend that it was out in Oklahoma, my parents went, and they decided that it was appropriate. Now, I was um, three and a half years old when uh, the original Star Wars was released. So uh, my parents went, and then the following weekend, they took me. So I did not see the original Star Wars on opening weekend. Uh, I probably saw it a month or so, maybe a month or two, maybe a month after it was released. But I did see Empire Strikes Back on opening day, and I have seen every Star Wars movie uh, since then. Uh, so all the three prequels, the three uh, original movies, the three sequels, uh, solo, uh, I even took my kids on opening day to see that goofy, um, animated Jabba the Hutt, whatever that one was. <laughs> I forgot what that one was, but, uh, uh, oh, and Rogue One. So we have been to every one of those movies on opening day. Uh, so I had seen Empire Strikes Back on opening day and I had to see Return of the Jedi on opening day, I was a huge Star Wars fan. I had Star Wars pajamas. I had Star Wars uh, <laughs> sleeping bags and sheets and curtains and pillows and toys and everything you can imagine. Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars was my life as a kid. And I had to see Return of the Jedi opening day, May 25th, 1983. So the day before that, May 24th. I was checked into the hospital to have my tonsils taken out. Um, my roommate had, I don't remember exactly, but I remember he was wearing a foot cast, like a leg cast. So I believe he was having some sort of foot surgery. I don't remember too much about him. I remember 
one of our moms, maybe even the doctor, making a joke saying that the two of us should put on a talent show and I could do the dancing and he could do the singing, <laughs> which is funny now, but it was not funny to me when I was nine years old. Um, now, I do have a memory that is either a false memory. I just I, I'm not sure because the facts don't seem to line up, but I believe that while I was in the hospital that night, May 24th, we watched V. Uh, if you remember V, the miniseries, and I've looked up and uh, V, the miniseries debuted earlier that month in uh, towards the beginning of May. Now, I thought that maybe it had re-aired, but I looked at a TV guide online and it doesn't show that it re-aired. Now, maybe it was a local re-airing or something like that. I don't know, but uh, maybe my brain got it mixed up or something. But I feel like uh, that evening we watched part of the V miniseries on the TV that was in our room. Uh, So my big memories of that trip were that the doctor came in, he warned us because we were laughing and joking. And he came in that night and warned us that they were going to give us a shot to make us go to sleep. And we were terrified, but we were just wired, you know, and they came back and they gave us something that was orange flavored and it was in a syringe and they sprayed it in our mouths. Uh, and then that made us go to sleep. So I remember that. The next morning, I remember waking up and my throat was on fire. I mean, I obviously had been to surgery and back. My throat was on fire. Uh, And they were like, hey, you want that free ice cream? And I was just like, water, water. (laughs) That was all I wanted was some ice water. And um, my mom went home. My dad was staying there at the hospital. And I don't know how long it was after my, my mom left, my dad said, get your clothes on. And I was like, I was surprised because I, they had told me that I wouldn't be able to go home till like five o'clock. And so I got my clothes on and, uh, I wasn't hooked up to anything. I was just laying there in the bed, you know, and, uh, he took me out of the hospital and took me to Almonte six, a movie theater, which is right down the street from the hospital. Uh, I remember that he had purchased a MGB, which was a little tiny two-seater car, and it was a standard. And every time he shifted gears, my head would whip back and my throat hurt so bad. Um, And he got me a – stopped at, I think, Sonic and got me a like a a 44-ounce ice water, and I was just sipping ice water. And he took me to the movie theaters, and on noon, straight up noon, we were in line – Wrapped around Almonte Six Theater, I remember there were adults with plastic lightsabers, uh, and we went into the first showing of Return of the Jedi. Uh, when the uh, Star Wars logo came up at the beginning, everybody cheered. I remember I couldn't cheer. Uh, there were a couple points where when Luke <laughs> um, catches his lightsaber, uh, when R2-D2 shoots the lightsaber when he's on the the um, the skiff and he's about to be uh, launched into the Sarlacc pit. Uh, everybody just stood up and applauded and and, and yelled and uh, 
Uh, of course, I, I just couldn't talk. I couldn't yell. I couldn't do anything. But uh, I will never forget that experience. And uh, when when the movie was over, I think my dad bought popcorn. I couldn't even eat it because my throat was just so on fire, so scratchy. And uh, when the movie was over, he drove me back to the hospital. I got back in my uh, little pajama things or whatever. And we sat there for three more hours until uh, my mom came and the doctor and everybody, and uh, they checked us out. So, um, (laughs) you know, in my head, there's parts about that story that don't make sense. Like, I mean, I would think a, a hospital would notice if a patient was gone for two hours. So maybe my dad told them he was taking me for two hours and bringing me back or something like that. But I do remember going to the movies and I do remember going back uh, to the hospital. My other big memory about that was that, um, uh, this is not really about the hospital, but it was about return of the Jedi was that, um, through the school, the scholastic book thing, I had ordered the return of the Jedi picture book and it arrived the week before the movie came out. And so, uh, I didn't want to read it. I was a kid who I never wanted to spoil a movie or anything like that. So I wouldn't look at it. So I came home and I showed it to my dad and he took it and kept it from me. And before we went to the movies, I said, you know, I had asked him some questions that he said, uh, he goes, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll tell you this, four people die. And I was like, four people die. And so as I was watching the movie, as Boba Fett died, and then Jabba the Hutt died, and then Yoda died, and then eventually Darth Vader died. Uh, I remember keeping track as I was watching the movie, just wondering who the next person was going to be. But um, May 25th was the last day of school, and so I, I missed the last day of school and got to go see Return of the Jedi. But that was my first experience um, in going to a hospital in any uh, uh, form. Now, um, one of the things that my dad taught me was a lesson very early on. Uh, he told me that if you, if you ever wanted to go somewhere or uh, do something that you're not supposed to do, the, the best thing you could do is to make sure that you look like you fit in. Now, he told me that when he was a kid... Uh, and he was going to skip class or do something like that, he would go into the hallway and pick up a desk and just carry a desk around. Because why would a kid just be carrying a desk around? Obviously, it looks like he's moving this desk or delivering the desk somewhere, and no teacher ever stopped him and asked what he was doing. They just saw a kid carrying a desk and and looked the other way. Now, when my mom... Uh, went in for a surgery, and this was um, maybe around that same time. I don't, I don't think it was before this, but I mean, it could be. It could have been slightly before that other story, but I mean, they're roughly right around the same time, right around the same age. And uh, my dad told me that uh, my mom is going to be in the hospital for a week, and. Uh, my dad worked 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., and by the time he got off work, visiting hours were over. And so he went to the hospital, and he had this empty toolbox. 
and he would just stay in his work clothes. And when he got to the hospital, he would carry this empty toolbox around and walk around the hospital and go to my mom's room. Again, it's that same, uh, you know, concept of l- looking like you belong somewhere. And if you look like that, uh, then nobody will question you. I have used that technique before a few times and it has always worked. It has never failed me. Uh, so it was a, a really valid lesson that uh, I, I really hung on to. I really took that to heart. Uh, but anyway, so around that same time, and I mean, give or take six months, maybe six months earlier, because uh, the there was a part of this that had to do with ET. My mom went to the hospital for surgery and she was there for multiple days in my head. It was a week. Maybe it wasn't that long. Maybe it was just a few days. Um, But uh, I remember one of the biggest memories is that I spent the night with a classmate And it was a school night. And for me, that was very, very unusual. I was never really allowed, even in high school, I was never allowed to spend the night um, with someone, with anyone, with a friend on a school night. And so uh, there was a kid in my class named Jerry. Now, I have mentioned Jerry a long time ago on a podcast because Jerry's dad was uh, named Tom Wayne. And Jerry's dad was the man who recorded the song, We Called Him E.T. And we called him E.T. Such a sight to see. He's from another world. But he loved boys and girls. He will fly. And his dad came to school and gave us autographed copies of the record, and we thought he was the biggest deal ever. The records, they were 45s, and they were red, uh, see-through vinyl, just like E.T.'s heart. (laughs) It was so cool. Uh, But I was friends with Jerry, uh, um, who was in my class. And so I think I stayed at their house like two days or something. And that's a long time when you're a kid. That's a long time for kids not to fight, you know. (laughs) I do remember he had um, the Coleco, you know, those uh, miniature arcade cabinets. He had the Coleco. um, I don't remember. I think he had Pac-Man and his brother had Frogger. I remember we played a couple of them. so, So we had done that. And he had an Atari 2600. So we played Atari. Um, but I, I remember doing that and I just remember not being able to go to the hospital. And I, I'm pretty sure this must've been before, um, that other story, because I just kind of remember like as a kid being confused, like my mom's at a place, but I can't go, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, uh, I remember that weekend that my sister and I went and spent the weekend at my grandma's house. My grandma lived in Midwest City, which was like half hour away. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not that far away. Uh, my grandma had, her house was um, less than a thousand square foot, and it was set up like a, a perfect square. Uh, so if you think of the four quadrants of a square, uh, one was the living room, one was uh, the only bedroom, 
One was the dining room and one was the kitchen. That was the four sections of the square. And then there was a, a one bathroom. It was like a, a cinder block house. And uh, she had a couch that folded out into a bed. So I remember sleeping on that. And they had a they had this giant velvet painting of a tiger. And I remember being so scared of that painting. Um just uh, uh watching it at night like you know waking up and making sure that tiger was still on that painting that it hadn't hopped down to uh, come get us but um the uh i i i plan sometime to do a podcast about both of my grandmas um just comparing them and telling some stories and stuff but the one thing i will say about my grandmas when you spent the night uh, she would always make you breakfast and breakfast was one of two things. The first thing was, uh, cereal and it would be some kind of old person cereal, <laughs> like, you know, um, oh, like those, what was it? Like the big wheat things or whatever, like frosted wheat, you know, mini wheats or something like that. Uh, but it would be either some weird, like grandma cereal or, uh, my my grandma grew up really, really poor. Like uh, for a year when my mom was a little kid, uh, my grandma, the whole family, they lived in a tent <laughs> for a year. And so my grandma um, was not, uh, did not have money. And so uh, I remember that weekend we, we stayed with her and she made us spam and eggs. <laughs> And I just remember like when I was, you know, nine and I thought it was gross. <laughs> and now I I still think it's gross. Oh boy. Uh, I, it, you know, like any of us, I'd, I'd kill to, uh, uh, be able to see my grandma again and, uh, <laughs> and, and choke down some, some, uh, spam and eggs. My next personal experience with a hospital uh, for me personally was when I got hit by the truck. And I told that story on uh, You Don't Know Flag. I think it was episode 175, I think. Um, it was the episode where I talked about the hardest uh, times that I've ever been hit in my life uh, and being struck by a pickup while you are walking down the side of the interstate. Uh, by a pickup that's doing 70 miles an hour, that definitely qualifies. Um, it was a, a rainy night and I was, uh, we had run out of gas. And so my wife and I were trying to, we were walking on the side of the interstate to the nearest gas station so we could call somebody. Uh, it was dark. Like I said, it was nine o'clock. It was raining and a car going down the interstate hydroplane to pick up a hydroplane came off the uh, interstate and hit me in the back. So I was uh, knocked, launched off the interstate down into a deep ditch, into a muddy ditch. Um, and uh, eventually I was, uh, they called an ambulance. Of course, this was um, 1998. And so uh, I didn't have a cell phone. My wife didn't have a cell phone, but the person, someone else stopped and that nobody knew that they had hit me. Um, because they just thought that it had been a single car accident. And so they were calling, uh, you know, a tow truck for that lady. And then my wife got up there and grabbed the phone and was like, well, you just killed my husband. And so they called 911 and an ambulance came and, and I was taken to, uh, a local hospital. And so this was the first and only time that I've ever ridden 
in an ambulance. Um, and it's very disconcerting, disconcerting, uh, disorienting, I should say, uh, to ride in an ambulance because you know where you are when you get in, but when you get out, you don't know where you're at. There's no windows. You're thinking about other stuff. I was, um, I was actually in shock. I was freezing and I kept telling the, um, the ambulance, uh, attendant, like, or the paramedics, I was, I was like, listen, I'm a computer guy. I'm very factual. I'm very, um, you know, like just give me the facts. And he was like, I was like, why is it so cold in here? He's like, it's not cold in here. You're in shock. And I was like, am I going to make it? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> you got hit by a truck. You got to go to the hospital. They're going to take a look at you and see what damage is done. And so I went to uh, the emergency room and uh, I mean, the doctor after he did, he, they took x-rays. My, my whole arm was bloody. They cut off my, my shirt and they took x-rays. They took me down to x-ray and they brought me back up. And when the doctor saw the x-rays, he was convinced that they had mixed up the x-rays and they sent me for a second round of x-rays. And when he saw him again, he said, I can't explain this. He said, this is like you are the unluckiest person to have this happen and you have had the luckiest outcome. And so the only real damage, uh, bodily damage, well, there's two, um, but at the time was um, that it hit my my elbow, hit the, the bumper, I think, of the truck, and it just split my elbow open. I probably shouldn't say at the top of the show there's going to be some medical story. So I'll try to give you a heads up if I'm going to talk about blood, but, uh, I just needed, I got four stitches on my elbow. That was it. Um, now the long-term, uh, damage appears to be, um, some back issues. My back hurts all the time now. Um, and, uh, you know, part of it is, um, you know, being overweight doesn't help, but, uh, I've definitely got some, some, back issues and uh i've i've talked to a few people who've had back surgery and nobody i've talked to said that their back is better after back surgery so um and that's not really at this point that's not an option i'm considering so my option is um uh a daily regimen of ibuprofen <laughs> um but uh yeah that was uh, definitely a different um a different hospital, uh, experience. Uh, and then my, uh, third hospital experience was, um, I, I had surgery and it was a, um, uh, an elective surgery that I had. And I went in and the, my biggest memories of this was, first of all, this was the first time I went to a hospital where I started seeing, nurses and maybe even doctors that were younger than me. Uh, this was like, you know, when you start getting around 40, uh, and it's a weird experience to start seeing people in positions of authority. Uh, you know, I had small children and I would go to parent teacher conferences and I would meet teachers that seem like children to me, you know, teachers that would be, you know, 
10 years younger than me, 15 years younger than me. It was very strange. And going to a hospital where you're going to have surgery and meeting doctors and nurses. I had a nurse trying to take my blood and could not find a vein and was digging around in my arm with a needle. And I fi- I stopped her and I said, you're going to have to go get a grown up, <laughs> which is not a nice thing to say. But I was like, if you can't do this, you're going to have to go get somebody else. Um, and she did, <laughs> she did go get a grown up. So, um, but, uh, that was, uh, uh, I mean, my, my biggest memory was that. And the other uh, memory was it was a uh, laparoscopic surgery. And uh, one of the things they do when they do lapar- uh, laparoscopic surgery is they um, inject you with gas that kind of bloats you up so that they have room to see what's going on inside. And um, that gas can get trapped in your back, uh, in your nerves, in your spinal column, which is what happened to me. And I had the word, like I called the doctor one day and I said, like he said, well, on a scale of one to 10, I said, it is a 10. I can't think straight. <laughs> I've never had anything hurt that bad. And it hurt way worse than getting hit by a truck. Uh, and the pain was in my shoulder. And I was putting ice on my shoulder and I was putting heat on my shoulder and nothing I did would make my shoulder feel better. And, uh, like my collarbone slash shoulder area, like up there, it was terrible. And the doctor said, well, the problem is that's not where the pain is. The pain is because you've got these, you know, gas bubbles that are trapped in your, your spinal column. So nothing you do to your shoulder is going to make your shoulder feel better because that's not really where the pain is. It's just triggering. It just feels like that's where the pain is. Oh, my gosh. And um, to make matters worse, he said, here's what you should do. Sleep on a heating pad. It will help things out. Well, we had this heating pad, and I didn't know how it worked because I'm dumb. (laughs) And so I had it turned up too high. And so I literally like burned my skin. Like I woke up and I was like, it feels worse. And Susan said, yeah, because there's blisters. <laughs> so I took the part of my body that was hurting the worst and then I burned it. <laughs> so that didn't go well. Um, now I will tell you that, um, Susan has gone to the hospital, uh, a few times, uh, this story is a little gory, uh, just to let you know. But um, uh, when Susan and I first moved in together, we lived together in a mobile home, uh, in, a, in a trailer. And when you purchase a mobile home, they give you these steps, these wooden steps that are meant to last like three days. <laughs> And we had them for years. You're supposed to add a real deck and all this stuff, but we never did that. We just kept these cheap, you know, crappy steps that were made with old rotten wood when we got them. And we just kept nailing more nails and screws into it to hold the wood together. Well, what happened was one day, uh, and get ready for this, uh, she was climbing up the steps and the wood was rotten. And so one of the pieces of wood broke and her foot slid over. So a nail went into the top part of her foot, but 
because the wood was broken, her foot went down and then the nail ripped up through the top of her foot. So she came in the house and there was, I just saw blood and, um, I got a towel and I said, let me take a look at it and see how bad it is. And I looked at it and I won't tell you what it looked like. And I said, we're going to the emergency room right now. I wrapped her foot up with a towel and we went to the emergency room. I dropped her off at the door. I said, I'm going to go park. Uh, you go in, I'll be right there. And she walked in I parked the car. Uh, and then I came inside and, um, she was gone and there was nobody at the front desk and when I looked, there was a trail of blood that went down the hallway and then into a room. And I knew that's where she was. And so I followed, literally, it was like a horror movie. I followed a trail of blood uh, and um, went and found the room. Now, what, uh, again, if you're squeamish, uh, you might want to prepare yourself. Uh, they had to, because the skin had ripped, they had to fold the skin over and stitch it before they could stitch it together. So she needed like 120 stitches on her foot to um, put the skin back together. Um, but uh, it's all better now. It's all, all worked out. Uh, now that was r like right, I think that was on Easter, right around Easter weekend. And then the following year on Thanksgiving, uh, she was... Uh, we were going over to uh, my dad's house for Thanksgiving. Everybody was going over there. And for some reason, we had driven separately. So I had taken things over there and was there. And then a few minutes later, Susan showed up late and she was crying. And we were like, what's going on? And so she had been driving down the road and saw a cat get hit by a car. And my wife is... Uh, the nicest person on the planet and the biggest humanitarian, uh, that there is. And so she got out of her car to go help this cat and the cat immediately attacked her, uh, just sunk its fangs, uh, and claws into her arm and would not let go and basically shredded her, her arm. So, uh, we had to delay Thanksgiving while we took, my wife uh, to the ER and they had to basically bandage her arm up. So uh, we had a few years in a row where every, like we were always cautious on holidays <laughs> around my wife. Um, now there is uh, another story that involves my wife uh, and me. And that is uh, when we went to the hospital, when my son was born my my, my firstborn child. Now, um, uh, we had gone through a lot of, uh, we had gone through, um, fertility treatments. We had gone through, we, we, it was, a, it was a long and it was a hard journey. Uh, and, uh, so she had been, uh, was pregnant and then they, and then the due date came and went. And so they said, uh, next, uh, Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, um, you're going to come to the hospital. We're going to check you in and we're going to induce labor. And, uh, uh, there was a whole row of rooms. There was like a dozen rooms and, and it was like an assembly line. They came down in there like, pop, 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 you know, give everybody this IV and then pop, 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 you know? Uh, but it, it was, it was very much like that. In fact, <clears throat> one of the, the neat things was for a long time, 
uh, one of Mason's friends in daycare had been born at the same day at the same hospital. So he he was a couple rooms down from us. We just, we didn't know them, uh, at the time. So anyway, uh, now I was, uh, knew nothing about having children or childbirth or any of that. Uh, I had stocked a duffel bag with about $50 worth of snacks from Sam's. I had, um, hostess snacks and uh, little Debbie stuff and granola bars and protein. I like everything that you could possibly need, uh, which is silly because there's so much stuff available at the hospital. Um, but I had brought that with me. I also thought, uh, for some reason, having a newborn child, I would be, uh, bored. And, um, this was two weeks before Christmas. And so for Christmas, I bought myself a Game Boy Advance. This was, uh, 2001. Uh, so I bought myself an early present and I was like, well, you know, when you have a baby, you're just going to sit around being bored. Babies don't do anything. So I bought a Game Boy Advance and took that to the hospital with us. Uh, and so we, we, um, <laughs> there's this funny story where, uh, we pulled up, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't make a decision. I pulled up and I was like, we're going to park here. And then I was like, well, there's a better spot on this. Let's go over here. And then I moved. And then finally, after like moving the car four times, Susan was like, Park the damn car. <laughs> I got to go in. I was like, okay, okay. Uh, so I parked the car. I brought this giant duffel bag. I brought my backpack with uh, everything, including a Game Boy Advance, all this stuff. And um, they uh, hooked her up. They did all these things, you know. And then uh, there was a time where it the baby was uh, about to be born. And so the doctor was like, okay, you come up here and and uh, hold mom's hand. And I said, okay. And I'm holding mom's hand. And then the doctor starts saying, okay, we're going to breathe. We're going to take this deep breath. Uh, and then we're going to push. And everybody say push, you know. And so we're all like, push, you know. Uh, and then we did it again and again and again, you know. I take a deep breath. Now push, you know. Um, and I guess involuntarily, I was also pushing. I just didn't realize it. And so... Uh, we're halfway through, I mean, uh, the baby hasn't come yet, but I mean, it's, it's imminent. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go. And they're like, what do you mean you gotta go? And I was like, I gotta poop. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, now's not a good time. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I've been pushing. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta poop right now. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm gonna be doing that quicker than this baby is coming. I promise. And so I ran out, uh, and across the hallway from us there was a room that was dark. You know how like when when rooms uh, when there's nobody in there, it's just a dark room. And I just went walking in there, and uh, I just went to use the bathroom. So it was like a patient room, but it was just dark. You know, and so I go in there and I did my business. And, uh, came out of the bathroom and as I came out of the bathroom, the lady who was in the bed turned on the light and sat up <laughs> and I realized that I had just gone into some random stranger's room and pooped in their bathroom. <laughs> and so what do you say at that point? You're just like, sorry. <laughs> so I went back out. I went across the hall and um, about uh, 90 seconds later, my son was born. So I timed it uh, just perfect. 
Now there was a uh, a dark side, or not a dark side, but a um, the mood changed very quickly because uh, there was um, some issues, uh, like a I don't know if it was an artery or something, but something um, burst that wasn't supposed to, and my wife started bleeding. And um, uh, I remember the doctor got very serious in a hurry, and he was. Uh, telling nurses to come in and, and, uh, telling nurses to call other nurses. And all of a sudden it was like a, a thing that had been kind of fun. And, uh, I mean, fun for me, uh, got very serious very quickly. And, um, I remember the nurse came in and he said, come over here and grab this. And she said, let me put on these gloves. And he said, I didn't say put on the damn gloves. I said, come over here and, and grab this. So like they weren't even putting on gloves. Like it, it was serious, you know? And so she had to end up uh, um, staying in the hospital much longer than, than what we had anticipated. In fact, I believe, uh, I got, uh, no, we all came home together. I was thinking that maybe, um, maybe I came home a day early, but no. Um, but I did learn the joys of sleeping on a, a couch, uh, a hospital couch during that trip. And, um, uh, my son was born with, uh, no complications and, and, uh, we stayed, I think an extra day because of, uh, Susan's stuff, maybe, maybe two days. But, uh, so it was scary, uh, at the time, but you know, if you want to, if, if you're going to be somewhere when something like that happens, you want to be at the hospital. So um, that was, uh, Mason's obviously first trip, uh, first visit to a hospital and his next visit to a hospital came, uh, about when he was four years old and we had taken him to the daycare and at the daycare, Santa Claus came to the daycare to see everybody. And as a fundraiser, the daycare asked me if I would use my video camera and record every child um, who went up to go talk to Santa. And then they were going to put it all on a DVD and sell it or something like that. So uh, I was there with my camera. My wife was there helping kids line up and go talk to Santa. And Mason got to go talk to Santa. And when he was done talking to Santa, he was looking at Santa and walking backwards and then turned around and this was in a uh, conference room with these big giant wooden chairs. And when he turned around, he smacked his face on the corner of a giant wooden chair and not his face, like the bone where your eyebrow is. And it split his eyebrow open. I mean, his head just opened right there and blood starts coming out. And there's like three kids left and I'm in charge of videotaping. <laughs> so I'm like videotaping kids and I'm looking at Susan who's standing by the door and they're trying to put, you know, something on Mason's head. And she's looking at me like, let's go. We have to go. Let's go. And now there's two kids left and one kid, you know, and, um, the minute that last kid hopped off Santa's lap, I was like, bye. And we, we ran we had a Honda Odyssey minivan, and this is the God's honest truth, and this is not safe, and this is not recommended, but I think our minivan, I, whatever the speedometer went up to, 120, 130, whatever, I mean, whatever it was, I had that needle buried. We were on the interstate, and I was on the way to hospital. I was freaked 
out. My wife was like, slow down. You're going to kill us. Um, but all I could think about was like, my kid is bleeding. I mean, it was terrible. And, um, uh, so we took him to the emergency room and, uh, they said they were going to have to give him stitches, but then they changed their mind and said they could use glue. Um, so I'm sure you've heard that they have medical glue, it's, you know, it's what super glue was invented for, but they, they were going to use glue and, uh, they said that it, it wouldn't leave a scar. Uh, and then while they were doing that, they asked, uh, Susan if she could do something with him. And I thought it was paperwork and they pulled Susan somewhere. And then they asked me if I could do something. So while they were working on Mason, they pulled Susan and I away from each other. And I was like, yeah, what do you need? And they were like, we just wanted to get your story, you know, and all this. And I was like, what do you mean get my story? And I told them what happened and they said, well, were there any witnesses? And I go, yeah, how about Santa Claus? <laughs> he saw it. Um, and they were like, well, you know, we have to, and I, it didn't dawn on me until it was, it was almost over what was happening. And this was the, we're going to separate the parents and make sure you didn't hit your kid in the head. <laughs> And I was just, then when I figured, when I realized what was happening and I started laughing, you know, and they were, I mean, it was inappropriate for me to laugh, but it was just so ridiculous that they were, you know, I mean, this had literally happened at daycare in front of 30 people. Everybody saw it. Uh, but of course they don't, they don't know us, you know? Um, but, uh, it, it, that was a, a really scary you know, until, until, um, I mean, afterwards it's not scary, but at the time it was, it was really scary. Um, you know, just seeing your kid, um, like that. Now you may remember, uh, from my streams or from, um, uh, social media or something that, um, earlier this year, my daughter had a car accident and broke her collarbone. Now my wife was at the airport leaving Oklahoma city when this happened, when, when my daughter got in the accident. And so, uh, my daughter called me, which I mean, at, that would be a one in a hundred. I mean, she would always call her, her mother, but her mother, um, I say her mother, my wife, uh, was in line at TSA was literally going through the airport check thing and could not answer her phone. And so she called me. Uh, and when I got there, I mean, she was very calm when I talked to her on the phone, she said, you know, yeah, I had an accident or whatever. I said, and I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, you know, and, and I said, does anybody hurt? She said, no. Well, when I got there, I found out her collarbone was broken. She's in an ambulance. The car is totaled. I mean, it was much worse than what <laughs> I was led to believe. Uh, and, um, I mean, it was the same feeling, uh, and maybe it was even worse because, uh, she was older and knew what was happening, you know? But I tell you what, when you, there's a, um, uh, an, an indescribable, uh, feeling of despair when your children are hurt, uh, and you can't, you know, I, I've heard people say, um, like if I could take your pain away, I would, I didn't understand that until I had a kid who got hurt. And then, uh, not only is it like something that you say, it's like something that you mean, like I would have taken, you know, everything, uh, that, you know, when they were trying to reset her collarbone and, and to hear your kid scream out in pain or whatever, I, ah, 
it, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Um, don't wish it on anyone. Uh, so anyway, we, we haven't had too many trips to the hospital with the kid. My wife has gone uh, multiple times for concussions. Um, in fact, she, uh, and everyone was like the most ridiculous story. Like if, if a doctor was going to look into stories, that would be the story to look into. My wife went to Hobby Lobby and bought one of those signs that says like, you know, happy home thing or whatever, and hung it over the doorway and went outside. And when she came in and shut the door, it fell down and hit her in the head. <laughs> it's not funny, but it was, it's, it's funny now. Um, and then like a few months later, she went to this uh, thing in the winter where they have um, uh, inner tubes, like sliding down a toboggan, you know, or whatever, um, uh, like for the city. And she went there and, there are people at the end of it that are supposed to stop you and they didn't stop her. And she was spun around backwards and hit her head on a concrete barrier thing. Um, and she went to the doctor and the doctor said, you got to quit having concussions. Like he literally told her, like, listen, if you're in your forties, you can't, you're not going to bounce back from concussions, you know? And it was like, uh, her memory was foggy for like weeks. Um, uh, it, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it seemed I'm telling it in a silly way, but it wasn't funny at the time. Uh, when a doctor tells you to stop having concussions, uh, I think you take his advice, you know? And so, so that's my wife. She's like, I can't have any more concussions. I I agree with that. I don't, I don't think I, I'm not responsible, uh, for giving any of them to you. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, you know, Anytime you go to the hospital, it can be scary. It can be, um, you know, uh, I don't know. There's just all these feelings that go with it. And, of course, um, this kind of leads me to my dad who um, has some uh, uh, lung issues going on. He's um, in his 70s, and he's been smoking for 60 years. And and, um, I'm afraid, I don't know, uh, but I'm afraid some of that has caught up with him. Uh, he, he plans on quitting when he gets out and I hope he does because, um, uh, you know, they say that there's no bad time to quit that anytime you quit is, uh, is good news. So I'm hoping that this is it for him. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, there, there's, um, it's a different feeling, you know, there, there's a feeling whenever your kids hurt and, and, um, uh, and there's nothing you could do, you know? There's a, a different feeling the first time that you, and this isn't the first time, but uh, uh, when you, you see your parents at a hospital or something and they are weaker than you are because, um, you know, like your dad is the guy that could, that was always, could always beat you at arm wrestling. My dad was the guy that, uh, like I remember one time when I was a kid, I was like, I think I can finally run faster than my dad. And my dad raced me across the yard and ran faster than me. And I was like, oh, I'm still not faster than my dad. Um, you know, and so like our parents are just, you know, kind of larger than life to us. You know what I mean? And so um, to see your parents in a hospital bed or, or not feeling well and having tubes and and uh, being poked and prodded and all that stuff is uh, – it's tough to deal with. You know what I mean? Um, and unfortunately on this trip, uh, he had a medical procedure. They inserted a tube. There's your warning. They inserted a tube, uh, in between his ribs 
to um, drain uh, some stuff out of his lungs. And the uh, hospital, the first hospital that we took him to, uh, they didn't do it right. And so um, he ended up getting moved to another hospital and they immediately took that tube out and they put their own tubes in and redid stuff. Um, and that's just kind of a weird reminder that, um, you know, we, we tend to think of, of doctors uh, as a role, you know, nurses as a role. We don't think of them as people. We don't think of hospitals as um, you know, places made up of people. I, and I can tell you my personal experience with this came from uh, when uh, I got furloughed, when the government employees got sent on furlough and I saw people that I know, people that like me posting on Facebook saying, well, those, you know, those fat cats in DC are getting taste of their own medicine. And I was like, well, I don't live in Washington <laughs> and I'm not getting rich. And I don't, you know, like, and they're like, well, not you, but you know, those government people. And I was like, yeah, but I'm one of those government people. You know, uh, it was just a, a very weird feeling to when people say like, um, you know, whenever you, it's around election time and this and, and other times, you know, but people will just say things like, you know, well, you know, government employees. And then I go like me and my wife. Like nobody works harder than my wife. I won't say nobody works harder than me. <laughs> I, I really kind of, the bar has been lowered <laughs> over time, you know, but my wife gets up early every day to prepare for work. My wife, um, I mean, gives 110% every day. Um, and so it's weird when people generalize like that and say, well, you know, government, you know, workers or whatever, but it's the same thing that we do in the hospital, you know, um, the the doctor that worked on my dad at the first hospital didn't do the procedure right. He, um, you know, and, and and it was it was to a point where they moved him to the second hospital because they couldn't figure out what was going on. And what was going on was he was bleeding out internally. Um, they gave him uh, over twenty four hours. They gave him six bags of blood, which according to Wikipedia is more blood than some people have. Uh, so he was not in good shape, you know, and he's, he's doing better now, but, um, you know, we, we think like, oh, well, a doctor, but I mean, it's not necessarily a doctor. It's just a dude named Bill who went to school <laughs> and did his best, but they're not infallible. They're not perfect, you know? And so, uh, that's kind of been our reminder, uh, of, of this trip. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I would like to wrap up this episode by just briefly talking about, um, advocacy, uh, and being someone's advocate. Uh, there have been times on this trip, uh, and in past trips where, uh, doctors or nurses will come give information and there's nobody there to give it to, you know, and if there's nobody there, then, then that's it. Right. Uh, or they'll, like they might ask my dad a question and he might give an answer, but it's not the right answer because he's on medication or he doesn't remember something. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we're not right now doing it around the clock, but we, you know, between my mom and my sister and I, uh, we've been staying at the hospital an awful lot. And definitely during the times when they make their rounds, because we're getting the information and we're giving them information so that they, um, can, can do the best, uh, job that they could do. 
but I just really feel like uh, you have to have somebody in the hospital to advocate for you. Um, on multiple occasions, we have caught nurses um, doing things incorrectly. Um, at uh, there was a on a previous hospital stay, um, my dad who is diabetic, they they had him hooked up to a a saline IV and his. Blood sugar kept rising and rising and rising, and they couldn't figure it out. And they were, were talking about taking into surgery and all this. And I looked around and I said, "You know that bag doesn't say saline; it says glucose." And they were like, "Oh yeah, silly us!" And so they were literally had taken a diabetic patient and were filling him with sugar, <laughs> and then couldn't figure out why his blood sugar was going up. You know, and so um, I mean, it's an honest mistake, but you know, I think. I hate to say it, but I think sometimes people die from honest mistakes, you know? So, um, that's, that's really been a, a big part of our, um, experience this time, uh, more than any other time in the past is just, um, uh, you know, being there and being on hand and, and, and having a second set of eyes, even, um, you know, I, I'm sure sometimes it seems like a pain if you ask questions or, um, you know, request, make extra requests and things like that. But sometimes, you know, uh, it could it could save someone's life. Well, that wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Like a Doss, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about Flack. We'll see you here next time. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my 8-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, Dave Zilly, Happy Birthday Dave, David Hearn, David Modalak, Eric Stryanisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Elier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Motocar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Perron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Bird, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, 
Travis Gossie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. And for my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, John Hudson Mackay and Scott Van Drace, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. 